Hey, Salon Pro. In this episode, John and I sat down with multiple salon owner and L'Oreal national artist, Kim Sclafani. Her salons are called Color Cafe Studios, and they're in Greenwich and Norwalk, Connecticut. When we asked her what she's learned in 30 years in the salon industry, she said, number one, to always be grateful for the good and the bad. That's where the depth of character comes in. Number two, to treat people the way that you want to be treated. And number three, never stop learning because that's how the passion stays on fire. In this episode, we talked about the benefits of having laser focus attention on your client, stepping up your game behind the chair in the salon as a professional, as well as the secret to a drama-free culture. Stay tuned for next Monday's episode, which is part two of this conversation where we really dug into accountability versus personal responsibility and how these two things show up in the salon and in life. You can follow Kim on Instagram at KimSclafani1, which is K-I-M-S-C-L-A-F-A-N-I-1, and then also at Color Cafe Hair Studio. As always, thanks so much for listening, and we super appreciate the wicked good reviews, as well as all the reach-outs that we've had lately on Instagram at 124.go. It's having a big effect on how we're putting the show out. You've probably noticed a little bit of shorter episodes, a little bit more focused content. We want to make sure that we're bringing you episodes that are not only entertaining, but also that you can learn from and take those skills that you learn and implement them in your life as well as in the salon. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the reach outs. Enjoy the episode. Kim, one of the things we like to ask first, because I, I think this is something that kind of binds us as a community, is how we got into the industry. So let me ask you, how did you become a hairdresser? How did you become part of this industry? How did this happen to you? I, You know, I think I just have it in my blood, and I was kind of born um, wanting to be a hairdresser, because I mm-hmm. just remember at such a young age, um, and I will date myself by saying this, I had like all three of the Charlie's Angels Barbie dolls and awesome. Donnie and Marie Osmond and Sonny and Cher. I would cut all their hair off. I would do all, change their clothes. And I just love the whole hair and fashion. Um, they probably would have been worth a lot of money today if they were right. still intact. But um, I just knew probably around 12 or 13 years old that I wanted to be a hairdresser and my parents secretly um, from the Bronx and my, my parents were kids having kids. Um, they had two kids at the age of 22. And so they were probably excited that they weren't sending me to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did find out through friends about vocational high schools and I asked my dad to sign me up and he did. And you know, the rest is history. I just love the industry. So I had my GED and got um, my hairdressing license pretty much at the same time. And then a couple months later, I got my license to drive and that was it. I just kind of took off life running with both feet. (laughs) So for me, I think it's just about making people feel good. And I I must say, I think there was an incident um, once when I was younger in my life, probably about 10 or 11, when my hair was super, super long. And my mom had a friend come to the house and chop all my hair off behind my back into like a Dorothy Hamill haircut. Wow. Because my mom said I just gave her such a hard time when she mm-hmm. went to go brush it at night. Well, I have to say that painfully devastated me for such a long time. And I never wanted another human being to feel the way I felt. 
So I think my mindset, honestly, was just helping other human beings look and feel their best because when you, unfortunately, this is the way it is in society. When you look good on the outside, it honestly makes you feel better on the inside. But then once you have somebody in the chair, you have no idea how much power you have over somebody. And you're normally such an outsider that they feel comfortable. It's like the sober bartender that people will be intimate with you and, and have conversations with you. And, you know, just that, that is such a special, special way of dealing with a human being that other people don't really get that. And if hairdressers really honed into like why we are, we are service people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, uh, to me, there's, there's nothing like it, mm-hmm. whether they're going, a, a, a family could be going through a crisis, uh, an accident, illnesses, any loss of finances, anything, they'll tell you everything. And you may not be able to help them, but you can certainly make them feel so much better by just, you know, touching them and making them feel better on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's, right. You know, we, we talk a lot about the, uh, the fact that people that enter the hair industry, often the hair industry saves their lives. We also talk a lot about the fact that we're, we're saving people's lives in the chair. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen Kim yet, because you haven't gone to her Instagram yet, <laughs> Obviously, that haircut affected you because you have long, <laughs> glorious, beautiful, shiny hair. So you never cut it off again, it looks like. I actually did. I did. Yeah. But before Instagram, <laughs> yeah. I, no, I'll cut it to my shoulders and grow it out and cut it to my shoulders and grow it out. But, yeah. but, you know, the, but, but it's funny that you say about saving lives. And this is like another piece of part of the puzzle, I think, is so incredibly um, important that when you're behind the chair, just staying so completely in tune with the client and just focused on that client. And that's very hard to do. And mm-hmm. you, people may say, well, that's not really that hard, but it, it really is because you have to tune out the phone and the front desk and the conversation next to you and like everything else and focus solely on that person to make them feel special. And as you're going through their hair, also be aware of, you know, if something doesn't look right to speak up. And so much, so many of us just go through the motions and just foil and slice and balayage. Right. But I can't tell you, I throughout my career, I would say a handful of people, maybe ten people, told me I saved their lives by telling them there was something on their scalp that they would have never found. Right. And yeah. I've gotten flowers sent to me. They've had had to have them dug out. But this is what I'm saying: like the power, the power that we have is incredible. Yeah. And it's, uh, it kind of reminds me of something that you wrote, you know, one of the things we do is send a miniature questionnaire to get to know people before Mm -hmm. we get to know them on in conversation. And one of the things you wrote down that you love to talk about is the power of treating people the way you want to be treated. And, you know, what you just described to me was intentional attention. Mm -hmm. It's like you're, you're, you're with that person on purpose. Talk a little bit more about that, because one of the things I said to you prior to starting and John and I've been having this conversation for a while is we see a lot of people talking about charging what you're worth, which we absolutely agree with. However, we also think you, we need to remember to be worth what you charge. In other words, step up your game as well. Does treating people the way you want to be treated, does that also translate in a professional sense? Yes, of course. I mean, it's all a package. It's mm-hmm. all a package. You can't just, you know, have a piece of the pie you, you, that you have to have the entire pie to be successful. You have to, you just can't 
have one slice of this and one slice of that. You have to, you have, to have all the ingredients in order to bake the cake the way it should be baked. Um, I feel like, you know, whether you sweep the floors or you bring in $1,000 a week or $10,000 a week, you should be all treated equal. Everybody's a human being. But the other reason, not only because it's right for humanity, no matter who you are, it's also setting the stage and giving those people that are not at the $10,000 rate yet, mm -hmm. encouragement and, uh, and, and insight that, wow, this is what I could be. And you could still do it in a, in a, in a beautiful manner where like, well, I have a big thing in our salon. We come from a drama, we, we are drama free salon. Like I don't allow things of course happen. Um, no, nothing is perfect, but you know, we nip it in the bud within 24 hours. And I came from a salon that I worked with, worked at for 20 years. And honestly, my dream was never to become a salon owner. I would have stayed there till I died. But the atmosphere got very toxic. And the owners um, encouraged strife, which wasn't a healthy competition. And so I don't believe in that. I believe that everybody should be treated equally. And also raised in the LP family, sharing leads to success and building people up, never knocking anybody down. And um, I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes, working with celebrities, working with other famous hairdressers, how people are treated, how other stylists and colors treat their assistants. I'm sickened by it and I don't allow it here at all. I like what you said about having, you need the whole pie, not just a piece. Uh, um, Chris, you'll have to remind me, I don't know where I heard this quote, but the quote is, to have what they have, you've got to do what they did to get there, right? That is actually in one of my programs. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yes, and in the segment of the program, is it's it's called Who Wants to Be a Model? Okay. And it's the oldest trick in the book. And I don't know why people just don't get this. It's like, <laughs> it's called modeling. It's such an old school thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to be skinny and you want to be in great shape um, or you, you look up to somebody mm -hmm. that is in that great shape, like what are they doing to get it? What are they eating? How many times a week are they exercising? What time do they get up in the morning? Like mm -hmm. all you have to do is do what they're doing and you'll get there. Why is he or she the busiest one in the salon? Right. He's and it's definitely not, not the best colorist. Sure. What are they doing to get so busy? What are they doing to get 10 to 15 clients in their book every single day? Right. Just watch, watch and learn, do what they do. It's a simple formula. Yeah. It really is. You know, to your to your analogy about the pie, we just want that piece. I just want this. I just want to be busy, right? Yeah. I I just want to get better at this, and and we forget that you know, yeah, I'm good at I'm good at color, but I'm also good at haircuts. I also know how to talk to people. I also pass out referral cards. I also sell retail. I also address client you know complaints when they happen, and don't say all oh, my clients are crazy, right? There's there's a laundry list that makes that pie complete. And so I love, I love that quote. Along the list, it's, 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 it's so many things in synergy. People, when, when you're in this industry, it looks really beautiful from the outside and it's sure. very rewarding. But in the inside, you're really a magician because you have, it's physically hard. It's emotionally hard. You have to be good at your craft. You have to be good at relationships. You don't get a sick day. You don't get to skulk off mm -hmm. in the back and put your head down. You have to be on all the time. Um, you have to be passionate because I, I'm not a big believer in selling, but if you're passionate about something, it's contagious. Right. Um, and there's so many different add-ons. You could do so much, you know, the sky, there's no there's glass ceilings because you could up to a 
one individual of how far they want to take this business, you can make a ton of money. If you want to, I want to go back for just a second to, I love, I love the fact that you talked, you know, briefly for a second about being drama free. And I'm just curious for salon owners out there, what are one or two perhaps tactics or strategies that you use to make that happen? There's a couple things. One is be very mindful in your hiring process because we only hire nice people and like-minded people. That's, that's one. And if it's too late for that and you already have a toxic person in, in, the, in the culture, then um, the other thing is there has to be consequences. And what happens to a lot of salon owners is they get nervous and scared that somebody's gonna leave and then they let things continue to happen. And what you allow to happen, as we all know, will continue. So if there's no consequences and everybody else in the, the culture sees that this is an action that's continuing and you're not doing about anything about it as a leader, as your, as your, cause your team, you know, believe it or not, everybody thinks that a team wants all this freedom, mm-hmm. but a team really does want structure mm-hmm. and it, they don't want a free for all. They want to know somebody is in control mm-hmm. and we can lead with our hearts. We don't have to be whip crackers. <laughs> Like right. we, they, but they do want structure. Like in our salon, if, and, and I'm not saying nothing ever goes down, but it's so rare that something mm-hmm. goes down. And then we give each other time to cool off a little bit because when emotion is high, intelligence is low, mm-hmm. then we nip it in the bud within the 24 hours. And, you know, then we're back to, you know, hugging and kissing. Cause at the end of the day, that's what mm-hmm. we are. We're like a big family, but you know, that first and foremost is higher, higher like-minded people and set go- growth goals for them and keeping them on the right track, knowing that they have a special purpose in your salon company, because then this way they have something to look forward to and they feel important as well. Excuse my ladies, but you won't have any shit starters at, when you have people like that, you know? Um, and I, think, I think one of the things that probably happens, tell me if this isn't true, because it's so rare when it does happen, Everybody must turn around and go, what the heck, right? Meaning it's so abnormal that yeah. it's it, not, everybody's like, whoa, what's going on here? That's, that's yeah, not in what our, we do. In our, in our salon culture, it's very abnormal. So mm-hmm. we are very selective of who comes into the company. I always feel like I can teach skill, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what I do. But I can't teach somebody to be an awesome human being if they're not that. But I'm a big believer in leading by example. So if you are a leader in your salon, and that doesn't have to necessarily be a salon owner, I have to say, it could be anybody in the salon could be a leader, but setting the examples. So if you don't want your team to come in late, don't be strolling in 15 minutes late for your client. If you want your team to look great, well, the leaders need to come into the salon with their hair, makeup, and dress nice. You know, even if we're not wearing ball gowns because of COVID and everything has to go in the wash, there are ways of presenting yourself. We're in the beauty business and people look up to us. Kim, I want to circle back on something you said earlier and, you know, getting back to this culture piece, you know, once upon a time you work for another company in 20, I think you said 20 years, 20 years, Yeah. So 22 left at 42. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And yet you, you left for the, you know, the reasons that you shared. But you had a decision to make. A decision was, well, I can go find another job um, or I'm going to go start my own salon. Tell us about that. Meaning, obviously, that was a choice. Um, well, the decision was really based on because the culture was so, I was so unhappy coming home and I've worked so for so many years to get to the place I was. I was extremely successful. I walked in there as a very young girl. 
you know, and then there was only five people and then the salon grew to 10 and then 15 and then 20. And at the end we had 50, 50, um, employees within the salon. I was the color Crazy. director there. Yeah. I started a education program. And so I felt when, when it was my time to leave, because I was so unhappy and my husband was my biggest cheerleader saying, you have such a great reputation, Kimmy, you should just do everything on your own. But of course you're scared mm-hmm. to take that step of leap you know, that step of faith, because it's all your money that you've saved up, you're just dumping into another thing. And you're just kind of going in something blind. I didn't go to school for business. I didn't have a business plan. Um, But what I did have is sustainability. Mm -hmm. And I was consistent. And so I had a huge clientele. So I, I set myself up for success. Mm -hmm. I knew the place that I got was going to be very small. I never expected to be here almost 10 years later where I am with two salons and, and, and all this stuff. But within that time frame, you know, I became a L'Oreal educator and then my status grew while I was with that salon company. And then I just became a national artist and I was just never recognized for the things I was doing. And it kind of was hurtful to be in that position saying I've done all this and you're not, you don't even have my back. So as a leader, um, I encourage my employees to do the same. If they have other goals, let me help you get there. You could do it. Um, and just have, just being their cheerleader was the, uh, is, is so important. So instead of going to another salon to not have control over that culture, because you, we always think the grass is greener on the other side, but the grass is green where you water it. So if I went to another salon, I wouldn't have control over those people in that culture as well. Right. So I had to step out in faith and create my own. And that's what I did. One of the things you had said was, you know, I didn't, I didn't get a business degree. I didn't have any business education. You're about to, not about, you have now opened two salons, right? And you're running those businesses. Looking back, where did you, was most of the business education you got from hard knocks? Did you have mentors? Did you read? Did you go to classes? Everything you, that you said. I took some classes. I went through Summit like a handful of times, mm-hmm. uh, the L'Oreal uh, Summit salons. Um, I just learned. And then, you know, you learn by, um, you just learn by experience, right? You, as things go on, I do, I did very quickly understand the formula between, you know, the rent ratio versus the money coming in versus the money coming out and the support team and all that. So I was thankfully, um, I think, thankfully I learned that early on. So I didn't allow the business to go into the red, but, you know, I have to say it's it's an ongoing learning process. Even almost 10 years later, there's mm-hmm. still a lot to learn. And that's why I always say never stop learning because it doesn't matter how long you're in an industry, whether you're an owner, behind the chair, an apprentice doing this, always something to learn. This is an evolving business that never, never stops. Mm-hmm. Technology, techniques, everything, everything. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you just sort of uh, alluded towards, or at least in my mind, is that the, the just the harsh fact or maybe freeing fact that owning a salon and being a hairstylist are two very different jobs. You know, you talked about inspiring your team, being there as a support. You talked about, you know, the balance between, um, I'm just going to say budget for lack of, you know, to kind of lump it all into one place, kind of understanding your overhead, if you will. When we're working with salon owners in general, there seems to still be such a, fear to let go of their kind of old role and task of, you know, being a hairstylist. And I'm certainly not saying everybody gets out from behind the chair, but what I am saying is kind of understanding that there are two separate roles with two separate kind of ideologies and responsibilities. 
Um, I guess two questions. Number one, are, are you still behind the chair and how often? Yes, I am still behind the chair. I'm behind the chair four to five days a week. Okay. I am a workaholic, but okay. you know what? This is my baby. Um, I don't have children. I put everything into my business and I, I'm working a little bit harder now because number one, we kind of stopped the education a little bit for L'Oreal. I mean, we're doing virtual stuff, which doesn't take a lot of time for traveling. I'm not going into the Academy in New York City like I was, um, although that hopefully will change in October. And the other thing is like, you know, we're trying to make up some revenue and sure. our bills are still the same. I'm just like every other salon owner. Don't think that I hope nobody thinks that they're in it alone, but you know, people are not all back to work yet. I didn't get all my employees back full time. So I'm still having some issues with um, people coming back part-time yeah. childcare issues. You know, maybe that'll change once the unemployment is ended but like across the board, across the country, no matter what salon owner I talk to, I feel like a lot of people are in the same boat. So you do what you have to do to, to survive. Yeah. Um, so for me, this is so important to keep my culture, to keep my salons that I will do whatever it takes. Yeah. yeah. If it well, means working behind the chair uh, more than I want to, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to do it. Well, my, and, and that's great. I mean, and, and the reality is, is, you know, I like what you said, like that, I remember being a kid and seeing an educator on stage and thinking because they were on stage, their life was somehow easier than mine and going, it looks like they have all their stuff together. They must, you know, have it. And so I love that you just shared that. This my second follow-up question is just tell me about when you are doing ownership responsibilities, how do you focus your time when you're working on those, um, if you will? And the reason why I ask is because a lot of times when we do start to help owners back themselves away from behind the chair, even if it's one day or two days a week, they struggle with, well, what would I do with my, what would I do? I don't know what the job is yet. Um, well, first and foremost, I think having a, a really solid, trustworthy team behind you mm -hmm. is key because if you can't be in two places at the same time, or you're not in the salon, having a manager or somebody that you trust that you know the business will run efficiently without you. That's really important because you have to let go a little bit of the control and you can't micromanage everything. And I'm one of those salon owners. If I can't, if I have 10 people a day or 12 people a day, I'm working a little longer hours, maybe take some more. Um, I'm okay with giving my clients to my team. I want people to walk in the salon and maybe not know who the salon owner is. I want them to like, if a new client walks in, I want them to wonder because I, that's how I want the salon run. And that just goes back to your team and who you hire. Um, so I feel like uh, when I'm doing my work for this, my salon owner hat, I'm usually doing it like at the end of the day, you know, sometimes at night, I really try to have a, a balance of, you know, like a Sunday, just relaxing because you're not good to anybody else if you just burn yourself out. Yeah. So um, everybody has a role in the salon. So I have somebody that does the inventory. I have my girl that does the, the payroll. Um, I take care of the 401k policy and enter those numbers. Um, you know, in synergy, they know we have things delivered. Uh, so once in a while, I'll go to Costco and when I'm doing my own stuff, I'll pick up stuff for the salon. So like 
we have a system and it works. And I think that if you, if salon owners aren't afraid to give everybody a little bit of responsibility, people will happily take it. And you don't necessarily have to pay them in monetary ways. You could give them, you know, bonuses or you could just make them feel like they're part of something really special. And most people are happy to do it. They really are. You can't burn yourself out. You have to allow you podcast Chris here thanks again for listening wanted to share a quick experience that we've been having lately with 124go and helping salons to grow and prosper it just happens to come up that recently I've helped four or five different salons create pricing structures and strategies that make sense for their salon and I hear myself saying this a lot when I'm working with salon professionals is I know on Instagram everybody's talking about charging what you're worth, and of course we agree with that. But there's also some numbers that help you balance that out, and you can kind of figure that out. There's a little bit of math uh, that comes along with that. And I've watched 20, 30, 40, I'm not sure how many stylists I've worked with lately, eyes wake up when they actually see the reasoning and that there's a structure and a strategy behind growing your business and raising your prices. I also talked with a woman today on the phone who has just doubled her pricing. And she's walking through the experience of all of the things that we tell ourselves about money and that we tell ourselves about our price and our value. And here's the deal. The reason why this particular woman could do this is because she was in such high demand, yet she was being held hostage by her own thinking and her own ideas and her own beliefs around what her clients would think and what would happen. And what we do is we help salons through taking a look at it, a very tactical supply and demand strategy, and then we build it around what your current pricing is, and then we help you to project when you can start to have those price adjustments without losing too many clients at once so you don't blow your business up. So we want you to get to the pricing that you deserve to be at, but your client demand and your retention plays a huge role in that. So listen, if you're wanting help with pricing strategies, reach out to us on Instagram, 124.go, or you can email us at info at 124go.com. We've also got a great pricing strategy segment inside of the Salon Business Blueprint, which is linked below. Uh, This is a really big deal. Most of you salons out there, in all honesty, I wish I could say this wasn't true, but you're doing it wrong. And a lot of you are very secretly sitting in pain because you don't know how to approach your pricing strategies, not only for yourself behind your chair, but if you're an owner for your entire team as a group. This is something that we can do in a short window of time. We can get you uh, really back on track to where you guys are charging what you should be charging and you can really start the career path so you can make sure that as you grow your demand, you continue to raise your prices appropriately so that you can be making the money that you deserve. So if that sounds interesting to you, go ahead and reach out to us on Instagram or email us at info at 124go.com. This is something we'd love to help you with. And again, I just can't tell you how many conversations I've had lately where people are like, I am so happy we finally did this. So um, anyway, that's that. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks always for the reviews. And we'll see you on the next episode.